I, I don't know about you, but I have found in my Christian walk that my, my main duty as a Christ follower is to follow him no matter what. And I guess what's frustrating is God doesn't always do things the way that I would like him to do things. Anybody else come up that same sort of thing? He, he doesn't answer my prayers the way that I want him to answer them. Uh, he, he, he just, uh, it, it's frustrating sometimes. Um, and uh, I came across this couple that uh, got married, uh, I don't know, 102 years ago. And let, let me tell you their story. Uh, their names were Conyers and Edith, not something you necessarily want to name your kids, but this is 102 years ago. And uh, we'll call them Connie and Edie. And uh, Connie was uh, 28 and uh, Edie was 26 and they got married in, uh, let's see, in 1916. Connie already had a business and a very productive business. He was in, uh, had a uh, landscape business. In addition to that, he owned a nursery. He, he is, had such a good business, he was actually selling seeds to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Uh, very well-to-do. They, uh, they lived in a, a large house in, in a place called Germantown, Pennsylvania, which is kind of on the, uh, the northwestern corner of Philadelphia. And um, did so well. They had, they had three children. They had two boys and uh, a girl. And did so well that they were able to have uh, live-in housekeeping, live-in caretaker, live-in cook type of thing, and uh, their daughter uh, went to private school and so forth, and, and did very, very well in, in the 1600s, of, or 1916, 17, 18, all the way through the 1920s until 1929. And I don't think any of us were around at that time, uh, unless you're just like really old. And uh, in 1929, if you look at American history, the Great Depression occurred where the stock market crashed and people were out of work and unemployment was astronomical. And it was not only in America, it was, it was across the world. It was just a, a terrible time. And it, it didn't stop real quick. And uh, Connie and Edith were very devout believers in, in Jesus Christ. Uh, they prayed every night. They got down on their knees at a certain time and just would pray for their family and pray for their business and so forth. And they felt it wasn't right for them to hold on to their wealth and let their employees go. And so they, they held on to their employees as long as they could so their employees would have something to eat and you know, pay their bills and so forth. Uh, they were thinking the Depression would not last long, but it lasted, if you look at American history, into the 30s, and then World War II took place. And they eventually lost everything. Had to let all their employees go. They ended up living uh, in an attic apartment where the walls were like this from the roof type of thing, and you couldn't move too far over here. You'd bump your head type of thing. He actually uh, went to work for the New Haven Railroad, uh, carrying a lunchbox every day and just enough to put food on the table. But they never lost their faith in God. But God wasn't doing things the way that they would have expected them to do. Their children were not serving God. And uh, even when they, after the, the Second World War, their, their children were not serving God. In fact, their two sons both served in the military during the Second World War, and they came home, got married. Their marriages didn't last. Their daughter did get married and uh, had four children. So now they had uh, their three children and, and a son-in-law and the four children, and, and yet none of them were serving the Lord. Things weren't working out as they should. 
It's interesting that, that God doesn't do things the way that we want him to. And, and it's frustrating sometimes. Uh, I get frustrated. I, God doesn't answer prayers the way that I want him to answer them. I have to trust him sometimes the way, uh, to do things his, his way. I have to allow him to be God. And, and I don't think we always like that particular thing. There's a story in uh, Mark chapter 5 uh, actually three stories of three different individuals and they're trusting God. And, and I see a certain pattern in their life. And because they acted a certain way, miracles took place. Lives were changed. And so even though God might not answer our prayers the way that we want, I, I still believe it's our responsibility as Christ followers to do certain things and to do them right. Tithing is one of those things. I, I don't think he, he necessarily blesses us because we're tithing, but I think you know, it's something that we need to do, and in the long run, we will see his blessing. And, and, and so there's certain things that, that we ought to put in our life and trust God even if he doesn't do things the way that we want them. And I see that in his character, and that's what I want to talk about today. Let me talk about one of the characters. One of them is a, a demon-possessed man. In, in fact, he's not just a demon-possessed man. He's multiple demons. In, in fact, we're told that he has a legion of demons, which is a whole, like, thousands of demons in him. And Jesus is traveling by boat over to the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And when he lands on the shore, this man comes and kneels before Jesus, and we don't know as we're reading the scripture whether he's actually crying out or the demons in him are crying out. They recognize, the demons recognize that Jesus is the son of God. And they say, just don't cast us out into something, cast us into something. And so Jesus cast them into a herd of pigs that were nearby, and the pigs actually run off the cliff and they all drown. It tells you it's not a very popular Jewish area because Jews do not eat pigs. They do not raise pigs. Unfortunately, they've never tasted bacon or a good barbecue, but, you know, they're still good people. But, you know, just that was the economy of this area. And, and this man is, is radically healed by Jesus. And uh, when the townspeople come out, they find this man dressed in, in his right mind. He had been living in caves and drooling and cutting himself and so forth, but he's okay at this point. And yet the townspeople tell Jesus to go because obviously he's ruined their economy and they're kind of freaking out about who he is. And so Jesus goes back and he goes on the other side of the, the Sea of Galilee, which is a more Jewish area. And uh, it's on the Western shore, and he comes across two characters there that we're, we're gonna read about in just a moment. But both of them are, are seeking Jesus for, for an answer. One of them has a 12-year-old daughter who is dying. And the other one has been inflicted with some sort of bleeding that has occurred for 12 years. And it seems that she's gone to doctors, she has spent all her money, and, and she hasn't gotten better, she's gotten worse. And both of them come to Jesus and they do certain things that, that occur here in, in this story that I think would help us uh, if we applied some of the same principles and maybe we place ourselves at a place where God would, would more likely answer our prayers. Again, it's up to him. But let's read this story in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 and 43, and we'll pick up with the, the one man, Jairus, 
who is actually a synagogue ruler. And in verse 21, it says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him and he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He fell at his feet. I do an exercise uh, once a week, uh, do different things and so forth. But this one is where you, you pick up a couple of weights and you hold them and you go down like this on your knees and then you come up again. And you keep going down on the same knee for a minute. And then you do another exercise. Then you come back and you do the other knee. All right? And, and you know what it's called? It's called surrender. Surrender. And, and, and I see the demon-possessed man doing this. I see Jairus doing it. We're even going to see the woman do this. And, and so he gets down on his knees and he pleads earnestly with him. I mean, his daughter's dying. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. And Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and passed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she got worse. You ought to read this story in Luke. Remember, Luke is a physician, and he kind of smooths this out because he's a doctor. And he doesn't want to say, you know, she went to all these doctors and she got worse. And it's interesting, we'll sometimes, you know, put things in our own way so that we look good. And verse 27 says, and when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him, the crowd, and touched his cloak. And because she thought, I think, find that interesting that, you know, she just had a thought. God sometimes gives us thoughts. Doesn't necessarily speak to us through a burning bush or an audible voice, but sometimes just a thought there. And it might be a God thought. And she thinks, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering, I might add, for the 12 years. And at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out for him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And, and there's a bunch of people there, and so uh, his disciples say to him, you see the people crowding around you, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Everybody's touching you, Jesus. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. I don't know he spent time doing that, but he was looking around. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. Now, she probably didn't come out real quick because in that time, if you were, had an open wound and you were bleeding, you're considered unclean during that time. And she's basically breaking Jewish law by being out in public and bleeding because they thought, you know, maybe I could get an infection from this or something like that. So that was part of Jewish custom back then, that you don't do it. So she's a lawbreaker, and she doesn't want to say, hey, it was me. I've been bleeding. I shouldn't be out here. And so it, it takes her a while to be, before she comes forward. But again, when she comes forward in verse 33, she again surrenders, come and falls at his feet, and trembling in fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, you have faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And when Jesus, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Whoa, why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. 
And he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to them, why all this commotion? This child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. Imagine they were laughing at the son of God. And then it says, uh, after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was, and he took her by the hand and said to her in Aramaic, Talitha kum, which means the little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. Well, I guess. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told him to give her something to eat. So there's three things I see here that Jairus does in this situation. Again, I think they're principles that we ought to practice to at least make ourselves available so we're at the right place in case God wants to answer our prayers or work a miracle in our life. The first thing I see that Jairus does is that he, uh, he had a miracle because he did not put stock in who he was his credentials, his accomplishments. Here he was a synagogue leader, but he didn't put stock in that. Instead, he humbly places himself before the Lord and asks for mercy. Yeah, your daughter's dying, 12 years old. She, in that culture, she is at the brink, at the threshold of womanhood. And to see her dying, you're desperate, and you're not going to worry about necessarily what people think of you. You just want your daughter well. And so he lays that aside. God loves it when we surrender ourselves before him. In in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, we have these things called the Beatitudes. We say they're attitudes that ought to be in our life. And the first one is this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We're not talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about our own spirit. When we're finally poor in that, it says the kingdom of heaven is ours. The kingdom of heaven. This is the way that we come in. We are broken before God and we say, God, we need you. Proud in spirit says what? I don't need God. I can do this all by myself. What do I need God for? That's a crutch. Poor in spirit humbly comes before God. God loves that. He loves somebody who is poor in spirit, who is broken that way. People that are desperate reach out to God and he's there. He won't force himself on us. He's waiting for us to humbly come to him. There's a a story in 2 Kings chapter 5 about a commander. His name is Nahum. Nahum. He is the commander over the army of Aram. Unfortunately, Nahum has leprosy. His wife's servant says, you know, there's a prophet in Israel that maybe if you went to see him, maybe he could do something about this leprosy. So Nahum takes his troops and he goes to Israel and he's outside the house of Elisha the prophet. Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. He sends his servant out to Nahum, the commander, and says, if you will go wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times, you'll be healed of your leprosy. Nahum is angry. He is ticked off. 
Who is this guy that won't even come out the scene? Doesn't he realize that I am the commander of the army? And he won't even come out and see me face to face. Sends his servant to me. And then he goes and tells me to wash seven times in that dirty Jordan River. Heck with this, I'm going home. And he does. And one of his servants finally says to him, he says, if this prophet had asked you to do something great, would you have done it to be healed? Yeah, well, he's asked you to do something little. Why don't you just try that? And so he puts his arrogance and his pride aside and he goes and he does it and he dips himself in the Jordan River seven times and his leprosy is gone. He's so grateful he wanted to come back to Elisha and just give him whatever gift he wants. Elisha doesn't do it for money. But it's interesting how pride and arrogance would keep him from an answer to prayer, would keep him from a miracle. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to bow down. I'm not going to surrender before this prophet. Arrogance has a way of doing that. Jairus had a miracle because he was not willing to, or he was willing to put not stock in who he was, but in Christ. He was willing to surrender himself before Jesus and ask for something. He became that desperate and he saw a miracle. The second thing that I see that Jairus does is he had a miracle because he did not get discouraged by delay. Now remember, G Jesus gets out of the boat and Jairus is there on his knees praying or asking Jesus, come and if you would just touch my daughter, she'll be healed. You just come and do that. And so Jesus is walking with him I like that fact that Jesus went with him after he humbled himself. I wonder if Jesus goes with us after we humble himself. But Jesus is walking with him to, to the house of Jairus, and along the way there's this woman. I mean, she's had this issue for, for 12 years and stops him, and Jesus feels his power go out from him, and he stops and says, okay, who did this? And I don't know how long he asked that question before this woman finally comes forward. I mean, we read it in just a, a matter of verses, but it could have been a while. It could have been a half an hour. I think Jairus is probably looking at his watch. Why? Well, I guess he did. Maybe his sundial. And he's, he's kind of saying, okay, oh, come on. I was here first. Now, you can go over to Publix later, and if it's crowded by the deli station, they'll probably tell you to take a number and wait your turn. Your number's finally called and somebody butts in front of you. Does that tick you off? It ticks me off, I have to tell you that. And I, I don't beat on the person or anything like that, but I have some thoughts. Where's their car? I'm gonna go key it or put nails under their tires. But I don't do that. But those thoughts come to me in those times. I was here first. It isn't, we don't see any complaint by him. Jairus had a miracle because he wasn't discouraged by a delay. Are we discouraged by delays in our own prayers? God's not doing something. You have something you've been praying for maybe for years and you haven't seen the answer. Maybe you've been to the doctors and there's just no hope at that point. Maybe you're waiting for a family member to come to Jesus and it's not happening like Connie and Edie were. And it's just not happening. And you're doing all the right things. 
Are you going to give up on God or are you going to continue to trust in God no matter what? The third thing that I say here, or maybe even just back up there, God loves it when we wait. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. I don't like waiting. You can ask my wife. I drive fast. And I don't like people that are in the passing lane and they're not passing and they're keeping me from passing. I don't like to go to Disney World because the lines are too long. Even with the Express Pass, it's still, I want to just like get in. I paid my money, let me in here, type of thing. I think the longest I waited for something was this past summer. My wife and I were vacationing up in Maine and there was this place that was noted for its lobster rolls. And we went there, and it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I figured, wow, you know, this is halfway between lunch and dinner. There's probably nobody there. There was a line. And it's a little shack. And we're waiting outside, and it's, it's sunny. And, and it's normal to wait in line at this place. They have people that come out and give you water so you don't become dehydrated. They offer you umbrellas. It's not raining but the sun. We waited in line till we got to the counter an hour and 45 minutes for a lobster roll. And then we waited about 10 minutes for them to make it up, right? But I'm gonna tell you, I'd do it again. That lobster roll was so good. The lobster, you couldn't see the roll. You couldn't pick it up. There was so much lobster. I don't know if you're a lobster eater, but man, it was just, my only regret is I didn't order two, right? I, I didn't want to make a pig of myself, but after waiting for an hour and 45 minutes and then another 10 minutes on top of that, it was just, I don't like waiting. But, you know, those who wait upon the Lord, I just want, I wish he would change that. You know, I, I, I look at the, um, the fruit of the Spirit. We remember the first three all the time. Love, joy, and peace. Do you know what the fourth one is? Long-suffering. That's what I felt like waiting in that line. Long-suffering, patience, endurance. God wants us to build. I, I read in James chapter 1 where it says, count it all joy when you go through trials of very, very, in various kinds because it's the test in your faith will develop perseverance. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure I want that perseverance because I want it now. We like things that are microwave. And God seems to work with a crockpot. You know, he's got a whole different time frame. I have what we call a Southeastern, a connect group. It's a small group of guys that meet in my office once a week. And, and one of them asked me at the, the beginning of the semester, he said, what do you do to connect with God daily? So I told him my plan of reading through the scripture, reading through the Bible in a year, and when I get up, and my prayer, and other things that I do during my devotional time. And, and he came back to me about a week ago. And, and he said to me, he said, I started doing that, nothing's happening. Two months. I said, well, Stephen, I've been doing that for 45 years. And I've seen God move a lot, but I'm not sure it's always going to happen in two months or two weeks or maybe even two years. Because God likes us to wait in his presence. God likes us to wait on that. It's 
I don't know about you, but that's, that's frustrating at times because we don't want to do it. God wants to build that sort of perseverance in him, that we wait on his time. The third thing that I see that Jairus does is he had a miracle because he few, refused to pay attention to a negative report. A negative report, your daughter is dead. It doesn't get more negative than that. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And what does Jesus say? He overhears the conversation and he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Now, don't be afraid is a continuous action. Don't be afraid ever, just believe. That's what God's saying to us all the time. In spite of a negative report, do we trust in God? There might be people, it might be the enemy of our soul that says, hey, this isn't gonna happen. Your prayer's not gonna, you're never gonna see your children in heaven. You'll never see your family members in heaven. You're not gonna get over this disease which has been going on for 12 years and doctors can't figure it out and you get that negative report. Are you gonna quit at that point or are you gonna continue to trust in God? Let's go back to Connie and Edie. Married for 46 years, in 1962, Connie died. Edie died five years later. During that five years in between when, when Connie died and, and Edie, uh, their one daughter who was married and had four kids, divorced. She became an alcoholic. Uh, just a difficult time. Edie had to watch that. I mean. First of all, there's no answer to the prayer so far for them being saved. And, and now her, her daughter's divorced and, and she's become an alcoholic. Edie couldn't even recognize her. What's happened to my daughter? Where are my prayers going, God? Edie died in 1967. Their daughter died in 1968. In 1970, their one granddaughter, they had four grandchildren, but the middle granddaughter, her and her husband accepted Jesus Christ into their life. A year later, their grandson and his wife were visiting the daughter, granddaughter, and her husband, and they accepted Christ into her life. The granddaughter's husband and the grandson decided to go to a college like Southeastern University because they wanted to know more about God and they felt that God had a calling on their life. While they were there, the grandson prayed for Connie and Edie's two sons who were still alive. And both of them accepted Christ before they died. The granddaughter prayed for the father who had divorced the mother. He gave his heart to the Lord two years before he died. The grandson's wife's Father was not serving God. Prayed for him. He came to the Lord through the work of the Salvation Army. Ring the bell. Right? How do I know all this? Edie and Connie are my grandparents. Their granddaughter who died of alcoholism was my mother. I, I can remember sitting at a stoplight in Phoenix, Arizona. And the thought came to me, you're not here by yourself. You're here because of the prayers of your grandparents. They never saw that. There was a delay. 
there was a bad report, they died and their children aren't saved, their grandchildren aren't saved. But our prayers have effect. And I know up until their dying day for both of them, every night, they would get down on their knees in their living room and they would pray for their family and pray for their salvation. And they never saw it. In spite of a, a delay, in spite of a negative report, they never saw it. What I'm saying to you, you, we don't know God's timing. We want the microwave. He's got a crock pot. But our prayers are going into eternity and making effect. Don't give up on what you're praying for. Don't think that God is not hearing it. He is. He's there. And he's taking account. He hears our prayers. He just might not do it in our time frame. We need to be like Jairus. We need to be like the woman who had the issue of blood. We need to be like the demon-possessed man. When everybody else gave up hope on them, they had hope in a Savior. We have that same Savior. I want to pray for you as we close, and some of you are in that place where you're, you're praying for something and you're wondering, when is this going to be answered? God, I'm about ready to give up. Maybe you're just never going to do it. Well, maybe you're just going to never know when he did it or does it, but he's there. And we have a God that loves us more than we can imagine. We have a God that's more concerned about us and our needs than we ever imagined. He, we have a God that's more concerned about souls than we can ever imagine. And I want to pray with you. Maybe you're struggling with a sickness. Maybe it's a situation you just wonder, where's the end of this? God is there. And so if you close your eyes and pray, and, and, and if I can agree with you, if you just lift your hand, I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you just lift your hand, I want to pray for you or any, and I'm, I'm seeing some hands go up. I'm seeing some hands go up. And Lord, you're seeing these hands, and you know their need. You know the very specifics and the smallest details of their need. And Lord, we say this morning that we trust in you no matter what. We are not going to be discouraged by delay. We're not going to be discouraged by a negative report, but we're continue to surrender ourselves before you as our God, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who rules the world. We pray that you will do what is right and what is just and what is loving with all the power that you can. Even if we don't see it, we trust you. Maybe it's going to happen after we depart from this earth, but we trust you no matter what. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, have a good day. It's Sunday. Happy Sunday to you. All right? We'll see you. All right.